My name is Robin Eagles. I'm a senior research fellow at the History of Parliament, and for the last two months I've been a visiting fellow at the Bodleian, working on a collection of manuscript newsletters from the early 18th century. These were probably part of a subscription service sent to a Scots nobleman, John Fleming, 6th Earl of Wigton, and essentially served as a regular news digest, pointing out the most important events of the day, both at home and abroad. Dominating the collection in the summers of 1715 and 1717 were the events surrounding the impeachment and trial of the former Lord Treasurer, Robert Harley, Earl of Oxford. Impeachment was a medieval device which had been revived in the early 17th century. It enabled the House of Commons to petition the Upper House to consider articles presented against prominent individuals and, if the Lords found them guilty, to impose harsh sentences which, in the case of treason, meant loss of life. As the newsletter sent to Wigton emphasised, the charges brought against Oxford were for diverse traitorous practices, which were then outlined item by item in the articles presented to the Lords. During this period, reporting proceedings in Parliament was considered a breach of parliamentary privilege, and those convicted of doing so could face hefty fines, times in jail, as well as having their papers and printing equipment confiscated. Both houses were considered privileged spaces, open only to the members of each house and their dedicated officials. However, what the collections in the Bodleian make clear is that there are numerous ways of discovering a great deal about parliamentary business through study of a variety of manuscript and printed sources. As this image of the House of Lords from the 1740s shows, the Upper House was a crowded environment, far from impossible to infiltrate, and it was thus often possible for news to leak out into the surrounding venues of the Palace of Westminster, and thence to the news purveyors. While Parliament was often quick to impose its will on publishers of printed newspapers, it was much more difficult to do so with manuscript newsletters, and it is thus often to these that we are able to turn for additional details missing in other sources. That said, on occasion, Parliament did take the initiative and grant permission for publication of aspects of its proceedings, or turn a blind eye to those daring to do so. From the late 17th century onwards, the Commons had released a published version of its votes, though this contained only very limited information. Some members occasionally released polished versions of their speeches, and the details of protests subscribed by the Lords also made it into print. In the case of trials, there were often printed versions available. Thus, following the compilation of the Articles of Impeachment against Oxford, these were printed and sold by a variety of booksellers, one of the versions retailing at two shillings a copy. Unlike in the case of debates within the chambers, trials were considered public events, and it may have been because of this that it was thought more appropriate that the public might be able to read for themselves the charges brought against state prisoners. Besides, once the trial of the Earl of Oxford moved into Westminster Hall in the summer of 1717, it's easy to see why attempting to impose restrictions became increasingly difficult. Westminster Hall, seen here transformed for the later trial of Lord Lovett in 1747, was normally an open space. At either end of the hall were the principal law courts, with the sides taken up with a variety of shops and stalls. There were also coffee shops and taverns in adjoining areas. Many of these were taken down or covered over with scaffolding for the duration of the trial. The shopkeepers might be compensated for the disruption by being offered places from which to view the events, and tickets were also sometimes available for purchase for anyone else interested in viewing the proceedings. Having spent the best part of two years imprisoned in the Tower of London, in July 1717, Oxford was at last brought to trial in Westminster Hall. 
it proved relatively brief. The political context had changed dramatically in the intervening time, and by then the administration was eager to move on to other things. The Lords thus took the opportunity of the Commons not being ready to proceed and dismissed the case against him. They then took the initiative and had official trial proceedings published. The owner of the copy of these proceedings held by the Bodleian took the trouble to annotate the list of Lords and Bishops voting to acquit, marking several of the names with crosses, one of them with an additional mark, the meaning of which is unclear. Why these particular individuals were picked out is not certain. Some, like Lord Lansdowne and Lord Northam Grey, were thought to be favourable to a Jacobite restoration, but that is certainly not true of all of them. What is clear, though, is that this copy was studied with interest by an informed reader for whom the list of those voting to release their former colleague was a matter of significance. The manuscript news accounts further enhance our understanding of how the events unfolded. If we compare the official printed accounts from Parliament with the reporting of Oxford's acquittal in the Wigton newsletters, we get a richer sense of the occasion. The official proceedings contained some useful details, noting, for instance, a late rearrangement of seating so that the presiding officer, the Lord High Steward, could see and hear better. But the newsletter writer was able to embroider a little more of the atmosphere of the occasion into his account. Here then, Oxford was not simply acquitted, but when the verdict was reached, three huzzas rang out around the court. Thus, as the paper summed up the event, you have an account how this great affair, which has made so much noise, and occasioned the imprisonment of the said Earl for above two years, besides other ignominious circumstances which he has undergone, is at last terminated. Some days later, the printed newspaper, The Postboy, carried the story of the King buying Oxford's residence in St James's for the substantial sum of £7,500. Oxford may have escaped conviction for treason, but his career as a minister was over. Comparing Oxford's travails through both print and manuscript in the Bodleian's collections offers us a rich insight into his experiences and the way in which the informed public could gain an insight into the privileged realm of Parliament. <laughs>